Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are you? I'm doing fantastic on this beautiful Tuesday night, and I'm very excited for the docket we have uh, coming up for this episode. We have a lot. We've got a lot of stuff, which is very exciting. Yeah, probably just because oh. last week we didn't we didn't want to talk about football. <laughs> we only... We, we made the executive decision to talk football and football only. That's a good point. We can't ignore that. We're <laughs> like, wow, we have a lot to cover. Part of that is because we ignored coverage last week. So and we have created this this beautiful abundance of content all by ourselves. And the thing is, though, we're probably – no offense to these non, non-football non sports like field hockey, volleyball, men's soccer, women's soccer. We'll talk about you guys like a lot as your season progresses. But – there's just not a lot of content to ingest with these teams to really talk about them at the extent we can talk about football. Right. If you're not like going to the games, it's so hard to know what's going on. And obviously neither of us are in Harrisonburg. So it's tough to go to the games, tough to stream all of them when you're living your life and doing all these different things. So it's, it's challenging to consume all the content. And it's also like you were saying, you know, we produce some original content, but none of it's like reported content for the most part for the most part. Um, and you look at, you know, the DNR and the breeze, the breeze obviously does cover some of these sports a bit, but uh, the DNR is not going to give us game by game field hockey recaps. <laughs> I, the, the breeze doesn't really even do it. To yeah. Me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what they do moving forward. They get definitely give some general content, but I, I don't know that you have like an extensive beat coverage of yeah. field hockey necessarily. Yeah, so to preface, all of this coverage on the non-football sports are probably going to be more of our expectations mm-hmm. going into the season, less than what we've seen out of their combined, I think, nine games of play. Right, right. Very good point. So, do you want to start it off with uh, some field hockey talk? Let's do it. Let's get some field hockey going. And let me see, I don't remember what Tyler Gregory asked us. About field hockey, I feel like it was just oh, it's over here. Never mind. Yeah, I think it's a question everyone has on their mind. Will field hockey rebound in a big way this season? Because last season was not good. They started the season last year ranked nationally, I think, in the top mm-hmm. twenty, 
and then they ended up not finishing well. They weren't ranked at the end, and they barely snuck into the CAA tournament, finished the season 6-12, and 2-4 and four in conference, and yes, they still made the CAA conference uh, tournament. So do you think right. they'll rebound this season after a year of growth, or do you think it might be another year of growth in uh, Harrisonburg? I think they'll be better, but I do think it's still kind of going to be a year of growth. Um, they had such a good stretch for a really long time where they were, seemed like they were ranked between like 15 and 20 nationally kind of yeah. every year I was, I was there and you were there. Yeah. They were just a really good team, had some really good players. Obviously, Coach Morgan is an elite field hockey coach. He's won a national championship at Jamie in the 90s, um, left for a while, and then came back. Um, she's a talented coach. They're a good team. It, last year was really confusing. And this year, through two games, I'm kind of confused again. <laughs> so they, they beat Bucknell in the season opener 3-2, to two, and that's not the most impressive win in the world, but it's good to get the win and start things off the right way with a road victory. But then they played at Liberty, who's a ranked team, number 20. Liberty, 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 Liberty. And they lost 5-1. to one. They really weren't competitive. So the way I see it is if, you know, they play the – I think field hockey does a top 20 and not a top 25, if I'm not mistaken. So they're playing the – the team that's, you know, barely snuck into the rankings, the last spot there in Liberty, um, and maybe it is 25, I don't really remember, but they're playing a team right around 20 in Liberty, and they get absolutely demolished by them. I think there's definitely room for growth throughout the rest of the season, but when you're playing a ranked team who's not, you know, a top five team, and you lose five to one, that doesn't give me major hope that it's going to be a drastically different season, although I don't I don't expect them to go six and 12. I think that they have some players that are good enough to make them uh, better than six and 12, but I just also don't think it's going to be like an NC tournament kind of year or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, in comparison to last season, the Dukes did improve because last year they lost to Liberty six to one and this right. year they <laughs> lost five to one. But then on the flip side, they beat Bucknell last year, three zero. And this year they only won three, three, two. So you take that with a grain of salt. Cause that's actually, that doesn't help at all. I just wanted to throw that out there, <laughs> but yeah, looking at them, I, I think this team's actually very similar to last year's. I mean, that's at least what I'm expecting. You expect a little yeah. bit better than 6-12. and 12. I'm kind of sitting around that, maybe even lesser. Maybe they do better out of conference, but I think in conference play 2-4 and four is probably where they're sitting because, I mean, you look at it, Delaware's a good team. If I'm not mistaken, William & Mary's a good team. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it panning out that well for them. And, I mean, they – they were just such a young team last year. I know uh, Ongi, uh, yeah. I'm trying to find her name to pronounce it properly, and I'm sorry to everyone out there. Yeah, Ongi. She was fantastic last season, but now she's only played 19 minutes so far in this season through the two games. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a, another growing year. It's still a young team, so. That's what that's what I'll say. I, I wouldn't say to Tyler, field hockey's going to rebound in a huge way. I think I think uh, they'll rebound in a big way in another year or two. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And to your earlier point, I'm doing the comparison thing too, like team by team, because they play such a similar schedule yeah. year to year. They tend to get a lot of the same big-name programs yeah. on the schedule. They play Ohio State Friday. That's a team that demolished them last year. They play them at home this year, so that's another really good test to see. Um, sort of if they've improved, um, obviously Ohio State's team is going to be a little bit different. JMU's team is going to be a little bit different, but sort of what the improvements are year to year is something to to watch. If you're a casual JMU sports fan who just wants to keep some tabs on field hockey, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to 
to sort of compare year to year scores against the same program. I think that's a, an easy way to give you at least some barometer of yeah. improvement. Yeah, to figure it out quickly. And Definitely. yeah, that's kind of answered both of the questions we had on field hockey. I mean, Boom. I don't think there's much more to talk about with them right now. I mean, as yeah. CAA play gets going, I know there'll be a lot more. And maybe, I mean, next week after the Ohio State game, we'll kind of have three games under our belt. If they get demolished in that game, I think we can better answer this question. But right now it's still kind of a big old question mark. Right. I would agree with that. And that moves us into volleyball. They have yes. a tough, tough non-conference slate. Yeah, I think this might be the toughest non-conference schedule they've had, arguably, under Lawrence Steinbrecher. They just play so many good teams. They went 1-2 and two over the opening weekend with a couple losses um, in straight sets to really good teams. They also yeah. beat Stony Brook, who's not in the volleyball CA, 3-0. Uh, to zero. I mean, they've got another tough one. This weekend, uh, three good teams on there. They play Florida at some point, um, two weekends from now. Mm-hmm. It's a tough schedule. They've got a really good, a lot of good teams on it. I was ta- or listening to Lauren Steinbrecher talk to Dave Thomas in an interview, I think a week or so ago. And she mentioned that just so many of the teams that they play on this schedule, even the ones that aren't maybe like power five names, um, teams like High Point, they're like projected to win their conference. So there are all these like, NCAA tournament fringe teams and she said that she sort of scheduled all these teams in hopes that JMU can get to the point where the program isn't just qualifying for the NCAA tournament but they're actually able to win the first match yeah and I think that's a really interesting point and something we talked about kind of a lot last year just how they were looking to do that so I think they're they're sort of setting themselves up for future success on a national level so even if their record this year isn't quite as glamorous I think the team can still be plenty good and as good as it was last year, even if the record's a little bit worse. Yeah, and even with setting themselves up with this tough non-conference slate, I mean, then it comes to the end of the year when it's time for an at-large bid. If you can pull off a couple of these wins, like say if you Mm -hmm. were able to pull off a perfect opening weekend and you beat Washington State and Iowa, and then you somehow falter in your conference championship tournament or something like that. Right. You're more likely to get that at large bid because you have those big time wins. So, I mean, really scheduling a tough non-conference slate can only benefit JMU. And I really like it. I, it's like you said, setting up the program for success down the road. The casual fan looking at it might see a one and two record. And who knows, maybe after this next weekend, you might see a two and four record or maybe even a one and five. Right. But I don't think that's the end of the world. I mean, women's basketball does this some seasons where they have a tough, mm-hmm. tough non-conference slate, and you all of a sudden are saying the sky's falling. And then you get into the CAA, which isn't the best conference in terms of volleyball in this case. And then all of a sudden they're undefeated in CAA play, and they steamroll their way through the conference tournament. So I think they're set up for it. I think it's going to be a good time, a good season right. for them. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that they're sort of trying to set themselves up for – you know, being prepared for conference play and having a, a big conference season, like you said. And they did lose a few key seniors to graduation. So what do you think about losing some of those top players? They still have Michaela White and some other really talented players. Sarah Martin, that's yeah. one of them. Do you think that the roster is still plenty good enough to win this CAA this year? How do you think losing some of those seniors like Bryn Recker and Kelly Bajos hurts the team? Yeah, I think that definitely hurts you just because of that senior leadership. And that mm-hmm. kind of sounds like the cliche that every sports writer goes to when they talk about <laughs> beginning of season and the lack of senior leadership. But if right. you just look at their statistics, you're looking at Michaela White, who was on 
the national team, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that right there is fantastic. Cameron Jones is another great player that the team's really high on and they really like. They did lose um, libero, their libero last season, uh, mm-hmm. left the program, I believe. But, I mean, stepping in, they have two. Who is their new libero? Savannah Marshall. There we go. Ha-ha. <laughs> Figured it out. I'm proud of myself <laughs> for that one off of name only. But Savannah Marshall's stepping in. I mean, she learned under yes. them for so long. But, I mean, looking at it, I mean, you have Briley with already 28 kills. Sophia Davis, who's a freshman out of Plantation, Florida. I mean, she has more kills than Briley. She leads the team. So, I think it's going to be a great season for him. Two great offensive players. And then you have Michaela White and Sarah Martin, the assist Queen and Sarah Martin and the block queen and Michaela White. I think this team's going to go far in the CAA. Yeah, really talented team. And they added Karis Beasley, who's an Auburn transfer, had some nice, nice depth. I think she'll be around for two seasons, including this year. You mentioned Sophia Davis. She played at St. Thomas Aquinas, which is a massive high school in Florida, which is known for churning out ridiculous athletes, especially in, in football. Um, so some people might be familiar with that name. Okay, um, I knew really, that name was familiar. I read yeah, that, a, and I was like, I've heard that multiple times. That's legit. They've got some some athletes there. So she's probably going to be a good one. They've got a lot of talent here. I think that, yeah, like we were saying, they're probably going to lose some non-conference games. The schedule's hard, but once they get into conference play, I think every team's going to be rather intimidated to face this group. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, what is next on our docket? Should we transition to soccer? Yes, of course, the best part. So men's soccer with a very strange start to the season. Are they still ranked? No, they are no longer ranked. They were like right. Where, where did they start the season? Rank like twenty. There was like a bunch of random soccer polls. I don't know what's like most widely accepted. I saw one was like seventeen. I think one was in the twenties. There was okay. one that had them all the way up at eleven. Wow. Yeah. So it depends on on which poll. There's a pretty drastic range, but they were ranked in pretty much every poll. So I'm gonna kind of give a disclaimer on this i've not really watched either one of these games at fau or at at fiu yes um those were friday and saturday the 30th and 31st of august so disclaimer i didn't watch them and so i can't really speak on what happened in those two games i can just speak on expectations i don't know if you watched those games at all or followed along at all do you know what happened in those games or do you think it's just the way of soccer i followed along a bit but I did not not have a chance to watch it. Um, my initial concern is just that I don't think either of the teams, so they ended up losing to Florida Atlantic and Florida International. I don't think either of them are like, from what I saw, even receiving votes after this weekend, even after those wins. So, I mean, they still could be quality programs. I don't, I don't know a ton about that, but um, definitely kind of surprising losses. You look at JMU coming in the year, uh, they made the Elite Eight last season. The players were kind of talking, at least from what I went, read in the uh, the breeze and some of the season previews, they talked about, you know, we made the Elite Eight. Well, now the goal is to go a step farther and make the Final Four and, like, try to contend to win the, the national championship. And then you go out to two unranked teams, you lose 1-0 and 3-1 to one in back-to-back nights, and it's like, whoa, like, what's going on here? Pump the brakes a bit. So a little concerning, I think that, that maybe we should be cautiously optimistic the rest of the way with them. I don't know that it's fair to expect some of JMU's, I don't know, fringe sports isn't really the right word, maybe like Olympic sports, um, to contend for national titles 
all that consistently. I think that they can still have a really good season, but I also think the idea that, like, yeah, JMU is winning the national championship in soccer, or they're going to get back to the Elite Eight. They have the pieces to do that, but I don't think it's necessarily a fair assumption. Yeah. And, I mean, I just remember last season, this team was good, but they weren't fantastic. Like, I never really sat back and was like, this is an Elite Eight program, and Mm -hmm. they're going to make this, like, this is where they're destined to be. I mean, kind of sitting back, I was almost surprised that they won the CAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that they went on that run to the Elite Eight and almost won at Michigan State. So I think for the fact that – I think we just got really hyped up with the fact that they went to the Elite Eight and we kind of forgot that the talent of this team – I don't think it's right. Elite Eight talent. I think it's maybe the tournament talent and top CAA talent. But I don't know if it's Elite Eight talent year in and year out. I think they got fire at the right point in last season. And so they went on that great run. And I'm not trying to take away anything from that. Mm-hmm. It's just more of the fact that now they're coming into this season a little bit more of a bullseye on their back. And they may have lost a couple of key guys from last season. I think this upcoming weekend, the Fairfield Inn by Marriott JMU Invitational will take the check for that whenever. Um, I think that's gonna, this is going to be a big weekend for them. If they can win both of these games instead of 2-2, two and two, and 1-0 and in CAA play, I think things start, kind of start to change. But as of right now, like, I think this team's just kind of coming back down to earth in their first couple of games. Yeah, I think it'll take them some time. And kind of like you were saying, I was I was a little surprised when they won their first NCAA tournament game. <laughs> I was surprised and then, when they won the CAA, their first CAA. Right. Like, and then they, yeah, they just sort of kept winning and kept going and doing all those things. What I will say is that they have a lot of returning pieces, their experience. They play pretty good defense for the most part. Yeah. So if they do get to a point and I do expect them to sort of steady the ship here, I don't think they're a bad team, but if they get into the tournament again, they can try to recreate that magic. They can certainly try to match what they did. And they also have the experience in those tournament games. They know sort of that winning formula. So I won't rule out a run if they do make it in. But I think that it's unfair, and I would probably say this when we talk to like about football and, and things like that. I just think it's sometimes um, unfair, and I think I kind of hopped on the on the boat with this too, <laughs> and increasing the expectations. But it's unfair to expect some of these teams to always contend for national titles. Like if men's soccer wins the CAA and makes the NCAA tournament this year, that's a good season. Yeah, I don't think we should be putting championship aspirations on this team i think we should be putting caa championship aspirations on this team i would agree with that i would agree with that but circling a date on this 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 schedule september 17th is a tuesday they play number one wake forest at harrisonburg if they can be competitive in that game i kind of think everything i just said may go out the window because if they can be competitive and or win a game against the number one team in the country things they might actually be for real. Right. And I think they have a good chance to rallying it, of rallying at home this weekend. You mentioned yeah. those two and how that would change things. And right, they've got Wake Forest, number one team in the country at home. If they're able to be competitive, even if they don't win, I think that might be a big boost of confidence after a few potential wins coming into that game. Yeah. And they've got some other games on the schedule that I think they'll win. They're a pretty good home team for the most part. They've got a tough four-game road stretch at one point that concludes at number seven, Virginia. But for the most part, uh, I think JMU is going to do some really good things this year. And um, I do expect their confidence to come back and and uh, for them to rally the rest of the way. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season to watch them. Also a fun season to watch. It hasn't been too much fun to start things out. 
women's soccer, they sit at one and three. Another team that kind of had big, big uh, expectations surrounding them after last season. They lost to number seven Georgetown two to one. They were competitive in that game, came back late, beat St. John's in double overtime two one, then lost at Seattle three two in overtime. So they've already played three overtimes in four games. And then kind of the stunner was the number 23 Washington State just absolutely obliterated them. It was a 6-3 final, but I think at one point that Washington State was up 6-1. Yeah, they were murdering them. I think they scored a goal in the first minute, and it just kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, that um, wasn't a good game. I, I, I just remember looking at Twitter, and all of a sudden, like, the top three tweets were all from women, JMU Women's Soccer, and it was just goal, goal, goal for – for Washington State, and I was like, oh, uh, that's intense. Yeah, I've been really tough overall. Definitely a tough weekend for JMU. I'll, I'll give them a few excuses here. I'll say that they had the, you know, a few days where they travel all the way to the West Coast. They lose an overtime game against Seattle, two days in between, but then they're going up again, still the West Coast against a ranked team. So maybe there's a little bit of just. You know, first week of classes have started. There's and some stress the, there. There's, they're on the West Coast. Right. There's a, there's a lot going on. So I won't put too much stock into it. The other thing I'll say that I think this is significantly more relevant than the weird excuses I just pulled out <laughs> of my butt would be that, um, you know, they're, I mean, they're one in three with two losses to ranked teams. Yeah. And they're also, I mean, they were awful to start last season, right? They lost pretty much every game. They were not very good, and then they got to the conference point, and they completely flipped the switch, rallied, and played well. So I think there's a pretty massive difference between this non-conference schedule, and they have two more top 10 teams on the schedule, and, and LSU, a road game at LSU, who's not ranked, I guess. Um, but then they play their conference games. I think they're going to be fine when it comes to the conference. I also think they might have a terrible non-conference schedule because CAA, for the most part, and I think women's soccer is the same way, they're not competitive. The conference isn't really all that competitive on a national level. So I think it's it's sort of expected that they might struggle against some of these non-conference teams and then really turn it on in the conference. Yeah, and to your point about them not being competitive last season in their non-conference slate, I'm glad you said that because it reminded me just how not competitive they were. So I just went back to 2018. In their first seven games, they were 1-6. in six. Yep. And then they won their last two non-conference games. So they finished their non-conference slate three and six. But I think it just stands out to me that they were one and six at one point in the season. Right. They finished at 11, eight and one and then seven, one and one in conference. So, yeah, this team kind of like volleyball, kind of like these other teams that schedule hard non-conference slates. I mean, you have a number seven team and number 23. You have another number seven the way that polls change against Penn State and the number 10 Duke, not to mention you have a power five opponent in LSU coming up. Like this is a tough non-conference slate. So if they can get three wins again, I think it's, it's, it's pretty solid. And then you get into conference play. And like you said, it's not too competitive. You have a couple quote unquote tough programs in the CAA, but like nothing compared to Georgetown, Washington state, Penn state, or Duke. Right. I think that that's a big thing is just there's no downside to like these sports and these teams scheduling really hard non-conference opponents. Because if your team's great, they get chances then to win these games. Like you look at like softball and build like their NCAA tournament exactly. resume. Exactly. I think that's what JMU's I'm, – I hope it's what JMU's kind of figured out is that 
Mm-hmm. CAA is not a good conference. So let's make our non-conference schedules look good so that if by chance, because it's a tournament way of one game, you're out of it. Right. Let's make our non-conference really good. So if we do happen to take a couple, our at-large bid chances increase exponentially. But if we lose a couple, we already weren't getting in if we scheduled cupcakes all in our non-conference slate. Right. And then also it helps, you know, imagine going up against, you know, Washington State, Georgetown, at Duke, at Penn State, at LSU, and then playing at Delaware. Like, it's significantly (laughs) easier. You know what I mean? Like, no offense to Delaware. I think they've got a pretty good athletic program. But when you get to play these teams, these big-time teams, at big-time road environments, you get really tested. And then when you get into conference play and you're playing in front of 30 people at Delaware, you're not going to be intimidated. You're going to say, wow, this is super easy. The team's not as bad. Or not as good, excuse me, as you know, like a Penn State or anyone like that. So, I think it prepares you for conference play. Even if you go one and six to start or whatever, then you can go seven one one when you actually get into conference action. So it's it's a good strategy if they're able to do it. They're able to get athletic directors from other schools to schedule them. Yeah, I love it. I mean, and we're starting to see more. I don't know if they're going two for ones or one for ones in these Olympic sports. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in field hockey. I mean, Liberty last year, Ohio State, Bucknell, they're kind of trading off things. So right. I'm, I'm a fan. If you can get one-for-ones with these Power 5 teams in Olympic sports, do it. Because, I mean, 100%. That'll, I mean, it's free to go to games at Centera Park. But, I mean, a fan's more likely to go to a game against Duke at, like, when Duke comes to JMU. Exactly. There's absolutely no downside. Like, it just builds sort of – fan commitment it builds it helps with the recruiting can help with all these different things so i think it's a huge positive that jmu across the board is scheduling really competitive teams and if you are a casual jmu sports fan you're kind of checking all the records of these teams and you're looking at the non-conference records after so many years of jmu sort of plugging like their total win percentage and how it's been historic if you're like oh god what's going on this year (laughs) it's really just mostly the schedule like the teams are pretty good they're scheduling in the past, JMU seems to schedule – this is a nice little uh, foreshadow to what we're going to talk about in a little bit. By yes. a little bit, I mean a couple seconds. JMU used to schedule St. Francis's for their non-conference in every one of their sports. Like, teams are going to destroy. But and now they're finally kind of figuring out, like – well, they probably knew this all along, but now they're finally getting on the bandwagon of let's schedule tough opponents that give us a little bit more difficulty rather than – a St. Francis and a Morgan state. Exactly. Exactly. And so this week, look at this uh, segue. St. Francis comes to town <laughs> to play the JMU Dukes in a game of football. JMU's favored by 30 and a half points. We'll get to all of this later. Cause I forgot. We have to first talk about the game that went down in Morgantown this last weekend. Cause yes. man, it, it, it brought a lot out of us in, it, it, by us, I mean me and Bennett in our text conversations throughout that game. Because, <laughs> yes. Man, was that an emotional roller coaster pregame, during game, and postgame when it came to reading some uh, certain takes we saw. <laughs> There's a lot going on there in that game. so much going on. I mean, in the moment, I'm just going to kind of run down the list I yes. have put. First, we're going to talk about was punting in the fourth quarter, you're down a touchdown. So, granted, a, a field goal does win the game, and they were in field goal range. Was punting the right decision, Bennett? Just an incredible take on so many sides. Yeah, so I'll run through the math. 
just because I want to run through the math. And this is the storyline. is <laughs> I tweeted at you jokingly from our account. And I was like, it's a dead storyline now, <laughs> knowing we were going to talk about it in two days. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, like most people have probably dropped this by now. No, we have. But it, we still text about this every but not day. Us. It upsets me just because like the decision didn't make sense, right? No, it didn't at so, all. At all. There's when they end up punting it and the ball gets like down. There's two minutes and thirty five seconds on the clock. I went back and I rewatched this to make I sure. I also have the play like by play into. up. I have the play yeah. by play up in front. Okay, of perfect. So it's a it's a punt. Let me <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong when I go through this. I'm, I'm, I'm with it. He punts. They down the ball at two minutes and thirty five seconds at their own twenty seven. So, uh huh. Okay. Here's how the math should work. West Virginia should, if Neil Brown wasn't crazy, they would have ran the ball three consecutive times which then triggers the 40-second play clock. So assuming that West Virginia would take – okay, so let's say they run the three plays, right? So the three running plays. And let's each say those is about four seconds each. Right, we'll put them at the four- or five-second mark. I'll do five for math purposes. So it's 235 <laughs> when it's down, three plays of five seconds 15. takes 15 seconds. So we're down to two minutes and 20 seconds of time. Obviously, stuff would go up in between them, but this is easy for math purposes. Then you've got three 40-second you know, play clocks that would run down. Obviously, you can't snap the ball at zero, so it's closer to, let's say, they snap it at two. So it's like 38 seconds. But if it was three 40-second play clocks, that would be two full minutes. So you'd go from 220 to 20 seconds. But since we're saying they snapped it at two, three times, we'll add six seconds back. So we go to 26 seconds. Then you add in the punt, which the punt from the time West Virginia punted to the time Amos did his return was 10 seconds. We'll use that as our standard punt return. So we'll say that they punt with 26 seconds. This is being a little bit conservative on the time because plays can certainly take longer than four or five seconds to run the ball. Well, you Neil also Brown have, clearly just throws out conservativeness when he decides just to insane. It, but Just insane. That was insane. So let's say they punt it. Right, with 26, it takes 10 seconds. JMU gets the ball with 16 seconds left, no timeouts at their own 40. So they have to go 60 yards with no timeouts in 15 seconds. So one play. So basically they get – Unless like, it's it a might quick be a little, out, like a quick 10-yard right, out. Right. Yeah. They could do like something down the middle of the field and spike it or whatever if they do it quickly and it's not too far. But basically they're playing for a Hail Mary. Yeah. So their best-case scenario is either like a blocked punt, a punt return touchdown, or – or what a Hail Mary touchdown to tie the game. All probably likelihood of less than 1%. Just very unlikely place, especially when the other team knows that those are your three chances of winning the game. Or you can go for it on fourth and eight or nine. No, it was fourth and 19. That's what Signetti said. <laughs> My goodness. We'll so, get to that later. <laughs> yeah, it's like a fourth and less than 10 by just a little bit, which is still hard to convert, right? You're on the road against a Power 5 team. But it's a lot more likely that you convert that and drive down the field, at least in my opinion. And you're also putting the game like in your own hands yeah. more so than if you, uh, if you don't convert, you don't convert like that was you. type Right. Of thing. Right. So I think that, I don't know, it made no sense to me. It's not the end of the world because it didn't cost in the game really. Cause they got lucky because Neil Brown made a mistake too. And they got the ball back. So it is what it is. But people are like, no, no, that's a hundred percent the right decision. You're wrong here. You're wrong here. It's like, no, like you just got to do the math. Like it, it's risky. If Signetti was playing for a block punt or Hail Mary or punt return touchdown, you know, that's his prerogative. Like, if he wants yeah. to do that, that's fine. I just don't think it makes any logical sense. Well, and and kind of going on more, I, I talked about what he said when he said, what was it, 4th and 18, 4th and 19? Like, right. if that was what he was thinking, I, what? 
you know, like, huh? You're the head coach of a football of a Division One football team, and you didn't you didn't have the mental like the wherewithal to just glance up at the scoreboard and see that it's fourth and eight. Right. I think that that is one where I wish that someone eventually, whether it was O'Neill's or something else, had asked a follow up just to just to clarify, like, if he misspoke. Because if he thought it was fourth and eighteen, I think that's kind of an interesting storyline. Not to like rag on the guy in his first game at JMU, but like if you don't know what the down is yeah. when it's left within a seven point game, that's that's a storyline. Yeah, like, like and and is he just like and try to not catch him in a lie, but like is he trying to brush that off as like a like a storyline he's trying to get the media to go with instead of like coming at him for punting on fourth and eight and being ultra conservative and being the second coming of Mike Houston. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, so I think it's at least worth asking. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was confusing to me. That sort of, that kind of went unasked and people are just, a lot of people, a lot of people defended it, which was very confusing to me because just like, like we said, where we went through the math and I went through it pretty quickly, but for the most part, it's JMU is going to have between 10 and 20 seconds with, 60 yards to go and no timeouts like that's a bad yeah I'd, situation I don't like I that. Mean, I'd rather go no. for it on fourth and eight and if you get it good and if you don't right. you were going to lose the game if you punted anyway exactly and it's not like he was the only coach this weekend like I don't know how much FBS football you watch but I've seen I got it. into betting and uh, I've there were a lot of, <laughs> lot of I've on a complete side tangent I've told myself now after uh, yesterday and today mm-hmm. I'm no longer betting on the MLB yeah, baseball betting is a risk. It, it's a di- it, it's not even you can't. It's the Orioles won today. They're supposed <laughs> to be bad. Like I just don't get it. But back to yeah, bad coaching decisions. Let's get back to that. Yeah, I mean it's just I don't know if anyone watched the North Carolina South Carolina game, but Mac Brown took a quarterback kneel on fourth down with 15 seconds left at his own 40. Like they just took a kneel, gave the ball back to South Carolina, and gave them a chance to throw it <laughs> And then they all looked at him like, what were we thinking? And I don't know if he remembered that, like, the clock stops in between a change of possessions. Like, it was it was crazy. And he, like, he owned up to it after the game. It was like, we made a lot of coaching mistakes today. It was, it was nice, but it was just insane. And there are so many things like that where people are just going crazy. Auburn scored a late touchdown to go up on, all, go up on Oregon. They're up five. Could have went for two to go up seven. They just decided not to do it. They just kicked an extra point. We're up six. Oregon had a chance with, like, you know, a Hail Mary or something where if they end up tying the game, they could win it on they, they win it on an extra yeah. point. Just unbelievable. Like stuff like that where it's just crazy. So, I mean, I don't think that this was the worst decision in the world. And I don't think he deserves like unnecessary hate. But I was also very confused at like how is nobody asking about it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 110%. I mean, it's a question you have to ask. But talking about the hate that's coming at Signetti. You know who's getting hate a hundred oh, times man. more than Signetti? Here we it's go. Completely unwarranted, and this makes my oh, I hate it so much. But I'm going to ask you first. I think if you've listened to this podcast before, I think especially last season, I think you know my stance on what this question is going to be. So I'm going to let Bennett take it first. Is the Danucci hate warranted? Yeah, I will be quick because I want to make sure you have a good chance to rant after I just had a good chance to rant. <laughs> but no, I will say no. <laughs> He played pretty well. Like his one interception. He plays really well. Okay, sorry. You'll, you'll let me have my time. His, his one interception was terrible. He turned left and lofted the ball. And when the ball left his hand, from where I was watching the screen, the way he threw it, I thought the, the receiver would be 
like 30 yards open. I didn't think there'd be anyone near him just because it was such a lofted <laughs> pass. When it was intercepted, I was like, whoa, like, what are you seeing there? But he also made some incredible runs yeah. where he looks, in my opinion, he looks faster than last yep. year. He also threw some great passes. Yep. He hit Brandon Polk a few times, great balls. Um, the one late in the game where it real, rolled to his right and threw a bullet to Kendall Dean was a fantastic throw. So I think for me, no, it's not warranted. What about you, though? Okay, so going on to first Brandon Polk and Kendall Dean. Kendall Dean, that catch was fantastic. The way he got his knee down, mm. the bullet, that was an NFL throw. That's a throw you're going to see coming up on Sunday. And like that, that's a throw that a, a professional quarterback and wide receiver make. And Danucci made that with Kendall Dean. That's the first point. Second point, kind of tangent, Brandon Polk is going to be a star in this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fantastic. And then let's get into Ben Danucci. All right. So first off, I just want to ask our, our listeners who are petitioning to get Cole Johnson or Gage Maloney in saying, well, oh it's going to be Ben Danucci. Why not have them learn in the system with Cole and Gage? Uh, that's, a, that's a terrible take because you're not going to win as many games with them as you are with Ben. I know the defense is great. And that's what's really going to be winning our games. But Ben also is going to win a couple games for us that they're not going to be able to win. Due to Ben DiNucci's athleticism that was on display when he ran for uh, net 36 yards, he gained 66, he lost Mm -hmm. 30. That was just based off of sacks. Right. But going back to his interception, I just want to ask a question to our listening public. When you play Madden and you do the play action, roll out to the right, and you throw across your body to the left because you think that receiver is going to be open. <laughs> it's going to be picked off. No one gets mad at you. And I think that's what we should be doing with Ben DiNucci. It was a bad mistake, yes, but it was his only interception of the game when otherwise he played a near-flawless game. He went 13 for 20, 156 yards, didn't throw a touchdown, but, I mean, when you have Solomon Van Horst back there absolutely bulldozing anyone that comes near him, do you really need to throw for a touchdown? Overall, I think his right. game was fantastic. And if he didn't throw that pick, like this is the funny thing to me about Ben DiNucci and his hate. If he doesn't throw that pick in that game, he's 13 for 20, 156 yards, a long of 29, sacked four times because his offensive line can't hold a block at times. I mean, it was near the end of the game when yes. when, when you see the FBS-FCS scholarship difference really factor mm-hmm. and you see the depth. So you can't really – in FCS play, that's not going to be a problem. But, I mean, he did that through the air. He did 66 yards on the ground on his 14 attempts because the pocket collapsed. He ran for 22 yards, was as long on the ground. He's more dynamic than he was last year, and if he didn't throw that interception, people would not be blaming Danucci for the loss. They'd be blaming Signetti and his punt decision. Right. Or, the defense, and I mean, or even the defense for not – I mean, the defense played fantastic. The defensive line looked amazing. But you also kind of have to put a little bit of the blame on the defense for not forcing a turnover at all in the game. And I don't believe – Austin Kendall was sacked once. The secondary really couldn't shut down the other – the receivers there late in the game. The defense made plays early on, but they didn't make plays late when they needed to. So I think – if Danucci doesn't throw that pick, the blame's on Signetti and the defense, not Danucci. Right. And I think that we're at a point where JMU's entire team is just remarkably elite. Yeah. So when we sort of rate them in all these different areas, we're certainly like nitpicking different areas. But I, I think kind of like you're, what you're saying, if fans are going to hate on Danucci, then you have other areas to nitpick. Like the secondary wasn't, 
perfect at all, especially the, the second the half. The secondary was bad in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Like, I know that's a very I, – I actually don't know if it's an unpopular opinion, but people haven't really been talking about the secondary much. So, yeah, let's say it's unpopular. Yeah. The secondary was bad in that game. Like, the we shut down their run, and the secondary wasn't exposed in the first half because Austin Kendall was missing passes big time. And because they were so fixated on the run game that they just couldn't get going in the first half. And in the second half, when Austin Kendall finally found his rhythm and was hitting his receivers, they were wide open. I mean, they kept going after McCormick. I mean, Rashad shut down his corner. But like I said last week, what my biggest worry was, was cornerback number two. Yeah, I mean, there were multiple plays in the second half and first half where Kendall had guys wide open. Yeah. And he just he just missed them. Yeah. So – I don't think the secondary is perfect. Uh, I think the defensive line played pretty well, especially against the run. Like, yeah. I mean, they held West Virginia at 34 yards. Yeah. It's only the second time in Neil Brown's entire head coaching tenure that his team hasn't rushed for at least 35 yards. So, I mean, you got to give him some big-time credit there. But the pass rush wasn't really that great, to be honest with you. They got the a couple blitzes, hits, but, like, other than that, right. it was nothing. And the blitzes were terrible. The blitzes showed up way late we're almost always blocked like there's i mean i'm not trying to be overly critical here but i do think that if you're gonna nitpick things these are the things that could also come up where it's a team effort right the team didn't play well enough to win it's not like ben denucci didn't play like the team didn't play well enough to win and i mean signetti said it four turnovers in the game one of those was the block uh, field goal (laughs) um no so three turnovers in the game and those two early on ones were terrible i mean the muffed Mm -hmm. yeah it didn't result in points but who knows what the dynamic of the i mean i talked about it in the uh critical year for jmu football you play the what if game what if amos gets that and just secures it not even gets a return like just secures it fair catches Mm -hmm. something and they go down and score and west virginia's on their heels like what if and you start playing that game what if Percy doesn't fumble on the first play? Does he rush for more than 29 yards on eight attempts? Like, mm-hmm. I think that was also kind of a storyline that people are kind of forgetting yeah. about. Did Percy kind of get pushed to the side after his first carry fumble, or did Solomon just have the hot hand? These are the questions that I do wish we were in Harrisonburg to ask. But at the same time, you kind of just sit back and, and play the what-if game. But, yeah, I mean, the team didn't. The team played really well for one half, and then they kept in it for the second half. But in the second half, you you saw West Virginia's depth just start pulling away. Yeah, and and going back to your other point, I, there are a few questions that I wish were answered or, or asked and sort of gone unanswered. I would say that the more clarification on the punting decision, um, definitely more information on the the carry load between running backs. Like, why did Percy get so few carries after the fumble? Was that like a punishment thing? Was that you just felt good with Van Horst and Hamilton and, and Douglas. What was the decision-making there? Um, that would certainly be one of them. And I think we had someone ask, uh, Lawrence Olds Jr., I think he asked, why did JMU abandon the run in the second half? Um, my answer to that would be that they did not yeah. abandon the run in the second half. It just didn't work as well. It, it I think the offensive like line it. was – right, right. It definitely felt like it. I think the offensive line was worn down. But you also look at some of these, like – uh, they had one drive where I think Jawan Hamilton ran for a yard on first down, and then they had an incompletion. So third and nine, you can't like you're not going to run the ball, right? Yeah. So that's that's a reason you abandoned the run because the first down run didn't work. You have another drive where the first play of the drive is Danucci's interception. 
Yeah. So they abandoned the run because the drive was over. Like, and then you're down. I think at that point they were down 10. When you're down 10 with like eight minutes left, you kind of got to push it. Yeah. So you kind of got to throw. And even at that point, when they went for the Ethan Ratke field goal, I believe there was a part of that drive um, was Jawan Hamilton a run on first down, Jawan Hamilton a run on second down, Jawan Hamilton a run on third down. They didn't get a first down, they kicked the field goal. Yeah. So they, I wouldn't say that they necessarily abandoned the run. I just don't think the run was as successful. And then they got to a point in the game where they need to be kind of pass first. Yeah. And I have two kind of points. I went back because when I saw this question from Lawrence Olds Jr. about abandoning the run, I was like, yeah, why did they? I mean, th- mm-hmm. that wasn't working. And I went back and I counted. Jamie was down at two different points during the second half. They went down uh, 10-7, they tied it up, and then they went down finally at the end of the game when they went down, what, what was it, 13-10 and then and then like 20 to 10, yeah. yeah. They had 13 rushes during those points, those two different points they were down in the game, which is quite a lot of running when you're down in a game in the second half. So, like you said, I think the things just start – they didn't have the holes they had in the first first half. So, it, it seemed like they were abandoning the run because they weren't getting 10 yards of carry. And my second point, we were texting about it. I want to know if anything's changed or if you still stand by the – the uh, the choice to kick the field goal there instead of going for the f- the touchdown. Uh, when it was twenty to ten. When it was twenty to ten, they kicked it to go thirteen to go twenty thirteen. I wanted them to go and push it for the touchdown because in my mind, I, that's how I want to play the game out. Just go go all out. I mean, clearly we saw that Signetti's not really that type of coach with the punt there in the fourth quarter. But I just want to know: Are you still in the mind of? Field goal there and then touchdown or touchdown then field goal? I was good with them kicking the field goal there. I sort of understood it just to sort of keep your hope alive, knowing that you're still in the game. But I also get the other the other side where if maybe they get a short – it was a short fourth down. So if they get like that, they got a two, I think, or mm-hmm. fourth and three. Yeah, so if they go ahead and get that, um, then they're, you know, in the West Virginia, like inside the 30 or something like that. You go down and score, then you can try to get a stop – do something along those lines, get the ball back, and then you only need three or a, or a touchdown to win. So I, I get both sides of it. I could see you know either side doing it. Um, I was fine with them kicking, but I, I definitely get where you're coming from, where it's like, hey, like let's go push the envelope a little bit. We're playing on the road in an FBS team. Like Let's make something happen. Yeah. So what was that? Was that all about Janucci hate? I think we kind of brushed on, is this the same team as last year? These were a lot of the same things we were saying last year mm-hmm. after the NC State game. The, man, if we just weren't so conservative, we would have won the game. <laughs> right. Man, we had it, but we just let this opportunity fall through our hands. It was a lot of the same exact things. When I was reading Twitter, I was like, man, this sounds like last <laughs> year, like right. to a T. Right. I think it's going to be a similar team. I think they'll be better, and I think a lot of the players are improved. I think the team as a whole is going to run the ball a lot better this year. Um, but I do think that this is going to be a lot like last year, but maybe even more so like the 2017 team which the 2017 team people don't criticize at how like conservative and borderline boring they they were because they won. So I think this team's gonna be like that team. I think they're going to win a lot of games, but I do think they're going to be good defense, a lot of running and they're going to, they're okay if they win 20 to 10. Yeah. We did see that a lot in the, in the 2017 campaign, a lot of like ugly slug fest, that right. Houston goes up 3-0 and he's fine with just kneeling for the rest <laughs> of the game. <laughs> right. Um, 
yeah, I think we kind of brushed on should Cole be put in because we saw that a lot around. I think we touched on that a little bit with Danucci hate. I think we both agree with no. <laughs> I think the big thing is just that like Danucci won the quarterback competition under two separate coaching staffs. Like, yeah, sorry, Jamie fans, but like, <laughs> this Cole's is the guy. Not as good as we thought he was, this is the guy, right? And he's a heck of a backup quarterback. I think he gets started a lot of CAA teams. Um, but I also think that Ben Danucci gives Jamie the best chance to win. And here's the kind of unpopular opinion that I'm now my second one of the podcast. Really unpopular today. I think Gage is the number two. Like, I think if push comes to shove, I think Gage goes in. I'm on the cold train. I'm on the cold train. Okay. <laughs> See it but I think, that th- I, think there's a, I think there's a point to be made there, especially when he's healthy. I know he's a little banged up during, like, camp. Um, but Gage gives him, like, a physical running threat. I think he's a better runner and a more dynamic runner. And I also think that um, he might have – I guess maybe better raw tools in terms of running and throwing and just his size and all those things. Cole Johnson's got a really good arm talent. Yeah, he is. Um, but I, yeah, I wouldn't be stunned like next year when it presumably is going to be a, you know, Gage Maloney, Cole Johnson competition. I wouldn't be surprised if Gage won that battle. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't be stunned if, if they pulled either guy too. I assume Cole will be too, but I also have no idea. That's and out. also I hope to never see that. Right, right. If Danucci stays healthy, I don't, I don't think we'll ever find. It. Well, I guess we'll find out this week when they beat, you know, St. Francis by sixty. Yeah, that's true. So we saw a lot of people calling for Signetti's uh, <laughs> job. Yeah, we got to talk about this one. This is the most ridiculous I take. This I've is. Seen. I think this is our last hot take, and then we'll jump into predictions <laughs> right. for this week against St. Francis. It was the way people people worded it. I think some of them were kidding, but people would just be like. Signetti is 0-1. I'm just going to leave this here. And I was like, what, what does that mean? Someone said, <laughs> someone said, well, Houston was 0-1 in his first season against UNC. They, and then they came is, back and they're like, well, yes, but he was 2-1 up to that point. So he was actually 2-1, <laughs> not 0-1. And, and I was like, um, that's not how – what? <laughs> Crazy, because they played UNC in the third game, right? So he, Houston was never 0-1. But it's also not fair because both coaches, in all likelihood – will be 2-1 and one through three games. Yes. Like, one FBS loss, two easy blowouts. So, through three games, we're not going to really know anything no, about not, these coaches. We'll, we'll know that they both – well, the UNC get – I mean, and if you're even comparing FBS losses with Houston and Signetti, right. Signetti had the better FBS loss. Right. <laughs> like, right. Houston got blown out in the second half. I mean, UNC mm-hmm. was against Mitch Trubitsky – like right the set what the second overall pick in that year's NFL draft right but <laughs> right. like they got dist- like 52 21 or something like that after leading 21 14 at one point you got 21 skunked a lot of times over right and then we tweeted the quote about you know when he said like fourth and 18 or whatever on the punt people were all upset about that like oh he has no idea what's going on it could have been like a misquote we don't know because nobody really followed up but it could have been a misquote or something like that or he just was not saying that we misquoted him because that was what he said, but he, he could have misspoken yeah, like, or something yeah. like that. So I don't know. I'm not going to freak out. I think that he deserves, at least in my opinion, I wouldn't rate a coach until he has at least like multiple seasons under his belt. I mean, if they don't win the national championship this year, I don't think he, Kurt Signetti's a bad coach. Like I would give him some time to continue doing his philosophy. I think Jamie is going to be 
somewhat conservative and maybe even somewhat boring at times, but they're going to beat a lot of football teams because their defense is really good. Yeah. This team is going to win 95% of their games. Right. They're going to probably make the championship game if they don't have any majorly bad games in the FCS playoffs. Yeah, because likely they're going to be playing a ton of home games, which is going to give them a pretty massive advantage in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, unless Danucci throws five picks again, like, I don't see them losing. Yeah, I mean, they have a really good chance to make a deep run. Yeah, so that's what everybody just calm down. Let's let's watch them play this week and, and kind of take it week to week. They've got a really big stretch sort of later in September, Chattanooga, Elon, Stony Brook. Yeah. So that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, read my week by week prediction for that. Yes. The loss that I've already predicted. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you get the final record right. Yeah, that's what I was You're, you're lost, still correct. Yeah. When they lost against this weekend, I was like, man, they better beat Stony Brook now. So I'm really right on that 11 1. <laughs> I don't care if exactly. I'm right on the game itself. Exactly. Okay, so St. Francis this week opens up FCS play. St. Francis, um, if you guys watch any viral videos on Twitter this week, <laughs> St. Francis is the team that Hunter, he was the punter that mishandled the snap twice and got destroyed by Lehigh and Patriot, uh, the Patriot League, which we all know well from Colgate. They're the Patriot yes. League champions. But St. Francis comes to Harrisonburg this week. JMU opens at a 30-and-a-half-point favorite. We have a question from Chase Kitty, our guest from last week. Would you bet your current job that JMU covers the spread this weekend my answer is fantastic, but Bennett, would you bet the current job? Yeah, so <laughs> I got a new job that I'm pretty stoked about, which I haven't talked about too much, but I'll bring it up maybe on next week's podcast oh, nice or something. Geez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, no, <laughs> but I do think they'll cover the spread. Um, but I, I don't know that I would bet like my job on it, but I also, he didn't give us a reward. So I have no idea, like, what am I winning <laughs> if I do this? Do I get a second job? Like, <laughs> what's happening here? So. But no, St. Francis actually beat Lehigh, even though they got embarrassed on Twitter. Um, they play pretty good defense, so I think there's there's like an outside chance that JMU wins this thing like like forty two to fourteen, which would be a what like twenty eight points. Don't really expect that, but I think there's I would say there's an outside chance that happens. I would kind of more so expect that JMU puts up at least fifty, and St. Francis, who scored uh, fourteen against Lehigh, I don't believe they scored in the first half. I think they scored late on a couple like big chunk pass plays. I don't see them scoring over 10 points. I'll set the over under at like a touchdown really, honestly. Um, six and a half points maybe. Okay. I think, Jay, I think JMU scores about 50 at least. So I think they're going to win by 45 or so. And I don't, I don't know. St. Francis like on the grand scheme of things, yeah, they're not a very good football team. But in terms of like their competition and like the NEC and what they do on defense, they're not the worst team in the world. Yeah. But I still think they're going to get smoked. Yeah. So so that's <laughs> – I think they're great, but I think they're going to get absolutely <laughs> obliterated. <laughs> that's, that's my take. Um, would I bet my current job that Jamie covers the spread this weekend? Well, considering right now I'm unemployed. <laughs> so anyone listening who has a job opening um, can either work remote or in the New York City area, let mm-hmm. me know. Um, email the Jamie Sports Newsletter or news um, email or tweet at us uh, with a job opening. That would be great. So Yo, the yes, amount of people that email that with like business questions for me, I'm like, get out of this email. Do they really? Yeah, somebody emailed today and was like, hey, do you want to do freelance work? And I'm like, hey, why are you emailing this email? 
<laughs> I haven't responded yet, but I need to be like, hello, sir. This is, yeah, people do that all the time. They're like, hey, I saw you were looking for a source for a story on business.com. And I'm like, you are emailing JMU Sports News, my dear. I'm like, <laughs> stop. Uh, but, um, yeah, but since I'm unemployed, I would bet my current job that JMU can be <laughs> Um, and that was the the answer everyone was waiting for, based off of my Twitter uh, <laughs> answer to Chase. Um, Are you going to put any coin on this one? So I use DraftKings because oh. I live in Hoboken, okay. so New Jersey. I tried to use Bovada. This is a complete mm-hmm. tangent, and that's really what this St. Francis game is going to be—a complete tangent because yeah, they over under. I would set it at combined 60 and a half because i think jmu will score 59 of those points um <laughs> maybe a safety for saint francis. yeah maybe maybe i doubt they'll even have penetration <laughs> to get a sack in the game um but i live in hoboken so in new jersey and like laws are different <laughs> so i tried to use robata and it you was like that on you shirt. use it in new jersey and i was like what like i thought this was like an offshore <laughs> illegal Sorry, I probably should talk about that on a podcast. So then I tried to use like Bet My Bookie, and I couldn't use that. So I was like, "Man, do I have to use a mainstream like betting source?" So I went to DraftKings, yeah. and I got good money. Like, I've gotten a lot of free bets. I think I've gotten twenty dollars worth of free bets, and they gave me like five free dollars to bet. Nice. So I'm not too upset, but they don't have FCS games. Frustrating. Bovada does have FCS games. Yeah, I know. And if I did have yeah. FCS games, I would put, I would bet for James. They had they had one last year earlier in the year where Richmond was favored over Delaware, and I was like, that is free money. So I took it. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about free money, so the Yankees <laughs> played the Athletics a couple of days ago, and I had money on the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, I had them on the 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 spread, so they were at minus one and a half. Yeah. So I took them, and I'm watching. I, I watched every inning of the game, and they're down four zero in the bottom of the seventh, and the money line for them jumps to plus nine fifty. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, might as well just put ten bucks down on a money line at nine. Oh no, eight fifty. So I mm-hmm. put it down, and then they came back and won the game, and it was that. It was it was both uh, awesome <laughs> and terrible because I lost the spread. Because they only won by one, but I won that eight fifty money line, and I was hype. It's it's addicting. (laughs) (laughs) They don't tell you about how gambling can cripple lives. Well, yeah, they do because every time you log on to any site, one eight hundred gamblers. In case anyone you, in case you or a loved one has a gambling addiction. (laughs) Did you see that uh, West Virginia commercial about the gambling? On the yes, live I stream. did. I did, and I that was, was like, right they had some hilarious commercials. And I was like, I forget who tweeted it, but someone was like, "The only things that happen in West Virginia are like gambling, construction, and death, <laughs> and like suing each other." God, that was those were funny commercials. We are really off topic from uh, St. Francis. I don't think. I think that really just plays to how unworried JMU fans are for this game. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know that there are many storylines the next two weeks. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like that's why for Jamie fans, that's part of why the West Virginia loss stings more is because like the next two, next two games are just snoozers. I mean, the storyline for next week is that Morgan State is playing a team that's not even in the, in the, in the NCAA. And a team <laughs> when do they play them? The end of the season. Oh, so we have to wait? Yeah, I know. I'm re- I'm, I feel like you're going to forget. You're just... 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be like, wasn't there something I needed to look at? In week 12 <laughs> like, this you gotta set a calendar reminder, like right now. I'm for just whatever surprised. that game is. It, it's a University of Lynchburg College or something weird like that. Like one of those weird names. But mask, mascot is just like Jack Daniels. You know what we do have this week? Beer in Bridgeport. Um. Yes, I was gonna say <laughs> CAA weekly pick'em. It's time for this week's Weekly Pick'em. Oh, yes, I totally forgot this was a thing. Because we, <laughs> we missed it last week. There's only one CAA game. You said beer and fridge pork. I was close. Do we only do the conference games? Is that what it is? Yeah, because okay, okay. Well, one we we didn't do them for week zero or last right, week. Fair, 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 fair. So now we're kind of stuck to only doing them in CAA yeah. games. But, I guess that makes sense. That's pretty much what we did last year. Yeah, because we didn't think of this idea until conference started. <laughs> okay, cool. But there's only one conference game this week. Um, tune into FlowFootball.com if you want to tune into this game. What is that, like $300 a month? It's about $4,000 million, and you won't yeah. get the stream. You'll just get a uh, reoccurring. The stream will be right back. Um, so, Flow Football, if you want to send us a check for that uh, buzz advertising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great ad by us. <laughs> but this one is Delaware. They're traveling to Rhode Island to take on the roadies. <laughs> Do the Blue Hens win or the Rhode, Rhode Island roadies win? Uh, I'll take Delaware because they're better. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I always feel bad picking Delaware because they're kind of inconsistent, but they're they're a solid team. I think they'll, they'll contend for a playoff berth, and I don't think Rhode Island's very good, so I'll take Delaware. Remember last season when we didn't pick Rhode Island at all during their winning streak to start the season? I still didn't think they were like a thing, and then they just sort of were rolling. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they're 7-0, and and then they lose their last like five games. Just... Um, so you pick Delaware? Yeah. I'm going to pick Rhode Island just to be different from you. <laughs> I, only one game. I miss this. I miss these so much. <laughs> I had like a two-game lead last year. Like, you know what? I need to catch up. I'm going to take... Well, I'm going to take uh, Towson to lose to <laughs> Albany or whatever. Last season, I was crunching the numbers, and if I picked the, that last week, if I picked the, like one same game as you, I would have lost. <laughs> Like, even if we got all of them right, like, if I got them all right, one same, you would have won. You have to play the numbers at some point. You do, you do. I like that you're playing them in week <laughs> week one. Well, here's the thing. Rhode Island only <laughs> lost to Ohio 41-20. <laughs> I have no idea what that's supposed to mean, but... <laughs> I'm glad you're confident. Here's an interesting story about Rhode Island. We went there once and we were covering the game for the Breeze. I was covering the game for the Breeze. Ooh, with story time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got – their basketball stadium was like connected. I don't know if this is still the case. It was like connected basically or very close to being connected to one side of their football stadium. And it's like this beautiful glass. And like Are you sure you're big... not thinking of Colgate? Because this was I the promise. same thing for Colgate. <laughs> it was this beautiful round glass structure. And I was like – Oh my God! Is that the press box? So us three breeze idiots go up to somebody. We're like, "Is that the press box?" <laughs> they turn, they turn us around, point the other way, and there's like this wooden box that's like blowing over in the wind, and you can t- 
you can tell it's gonna have problems and they're like that's the press box and we're like all right so we, we turned around we went in there it was the middle of november it was like 30 degrees and they had about 25 flies in the press box how did you get did you drive there or did you uh we drove we stayed at my house in connecticut and then uh they actually drove up separately from me and they got to my house at midnight and I fell asleep on the couch and I didn't check my phone until like 3 a.m. and they were scared to come in. So they slept in the car for like two hours and then I got them at 3 a.m. So it was it was a terrible trip for all involved. We got the wrong – we got the the bad press box, so to speak. And uh, yeah, there were legitimately like 20 flies in the press box even though it was freezing outside and I've never been walking in my life. So – Greg Medea does that thing where it's like the anonymous vote on like the worst. He's got to do press boxes. So, I mean, he's got to do it. Well, he does for the worst. Like, I think he'd ask media too. Well, really? I know Rhode Island, I think, is the worst stadium. Or is that? Yeah, I think Rhode Island's the worst stadium. <laughs> and I'm looking at pictures and my high school look like this. Yeah, I didn't despise the stadium, but it wasn't like impressive no it's a pretty bad stadium it's i think i've been to, i've been to most of the venues i've never been to like new york ones i haven't been to stony brook or albany and then i have not been to elon which i need to get on the list road trip road, road trip i, I should buy stony brook is only two hours by train from me so go check it out I think, my, for you. I think my parents are considering it i do want to go to the this we're on a complete side tangent for the last twenty minutes. If anybody made podcast. it to the seventy minute mark, kudos to you for real. Because at this point, this is normally <laughs> it our- might just be us. This is basically <laughs> just conversation. Because this is normally where we end the podcast and then we just keep talking. So this is the behind the scenes <laughs> content you all miss every week. But exactly. the uh, the uh, New York City chapter of alumni dudes Ooh. are planning a because Jamie plays at Stony Brook, so they're planning a uh, really like a JMU alumni like stony brook visit so new york city alumni chapter of uh dukes uh buzz marketing send us our check please (laughs) if we if these people actually listen and give us checks dude we're gonna be making a lot of cash uh follow us on patreon five dollars a month and you can get behind the scenes footage that we give to everyone Huge news. I didn't know the Chattanooga game was on ESPN+. Plus. Neither did Speaking I. I was looking at that. And remember that's last a great platform. we really buzz-marketed ESPN+. Plus. I like ESPN+. Plus. I think I haven't watched it in six months, but I definitely still pay like $5 a month. You should probably get that taken out of there. That's me and LinkedIn Premium. It never gave me a job, but I still pay LinkedIn money for it. LinkedIn Premium. No, I'm not about LinkedIn Premium. Hey, it gives what is free it, messages. Is it, what does it do? It gives you a message. Like you can message oh. anyone. Like, you know, you, how, still, like, you still have 300 characters when you send a connection request. See, I, I feel awkward just sending that like cold connection request. I'd rather just cold message them. Oh, well, I, s- I send like the little note with the cold thing. See, Matt Wyrick told me about that. And he was, yeah, that's what I always do. Like, I'll give like a quick that's the way to go 300 word pitch and then be uh-huh. like, accept my connection for more information. And I'm like, that sounds so fit. There's so many JMU games on Flow Sports. Oh my Yay. lord! Yay! Jeez, Louise! I guess I'm gonna have to pay soon. Yeah, I'm gonna pay right when they play. Oh wait, the, the Morgan State game is on. I know that one's disappointing. Is that game even worth getting it for? Because the next game isn't until September 28th. I think there were workarounds. Work, I think there were like workarounds where you could pay for like 
like flow sports band <laughs> to like watch the <laughs> the bands or something to watch like marching bands or something i guess that flow sports covers marching bands i don't really understand but i think you can do that and you pay five dollars and it gives you access to like everything or something weird interesting we'll yeah, figure there that are, out we'll there are workarounds the chances of me paying 13 dollars a month or whatever for flow sports are minimal so yeah, I'm going to try to find a workaround. That's more than ESPN Plus, so that's not happening. It's like three times ESPN Plus, and it only would be good for, like, CAA football. That's crazy. Well, you also get all CAA, like... Yeah, and then you get, like, curling or whatever else they have. So that's amazing news. Um, anything else to add? Anything we... I do have one make? question, yes, before we finish. The game sponsor for the November 9th game against New Hampshire is Glow... G-L-O fiber. What? One second. So Glow Fiber is internet speeds that fit your lifestyle. Starting at 300 megabytes per second, fiber to the home connection provides a high speed speed bandwidth connection. Glow Fiber. Connect your home, connect you. I made up that tagline. I just want to say that was pretty good. That was a really good ad, except for except for the like one minor hiccup where you then went like, Tuh. but I think we should keep that in for like authenticity. Yeah, it's an internet service provider. In I thought it was okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought it was going to be like you eat this and you're going to like you know be more regular, but it's more like a tech. Oh, you know where they're located? <laughs> I don't. I can assure you, I've never been to Glow Fiber's location. You know where? Um... Wells Fargo is on the corner next to Urban. Yes, they're like in that. I don't know if they're. Oh. I don't know if they're located above Lafaw Falafel, but they're at twelve South Mason Street. Oh, okay. We'll have to check. Oh, wait, out. my fault. Twenty South Mason Street. Okay, okay, that's huge difference. Yeah, exactly. You guys really need to uh, buzz market this, man. That was good. Send our check. Nice. This might have been our longest podcast of all time. I think it is, and I think people stopped listening. Oh, I bet we lost them at like the 55-minute mark. I wish Anchor gave us those types of analytics, like when you lose people. Like, is it after the five-minute point, or is it after the 30-second point? (laughs) The amazing information to know. All right. So I think it's time to wrap this podcast up. Yes. Anything else to add? Anything else out there? that you've put out on Jamie sports news. If uh, anything else you've read on the breeze that you think we need to read, I haven't. So I'm clear. No, I don't think I have that. I might try to write some sort of game preview for the St. Francis game, but who really knows there? Right. Well, that's all. So be sure to follow the more stuff we have to add this week. Cause I forgot how to finish podcast last. Yeah. Week. Yeah. We'll get it back. So this week, I'm going to say follow us on Twitter at JMU Sports News. You can go ahead and like us on Facebook if you just type in JMU Sports News on the, in the search bar. And you can hit like on us. You can stay up to date with everything happening on our website. Head on over to www.jmusportsnews.com. We do want to thank everyone who went to our website last week in preparation yeah. for the West Virginia game. Because we hit stats that we never thought um, we'd be hitting soon. We hit... 1,760 views in one day. We hit, um, we were averaging 929 views a day last week. So, some really good stuff. And we want to thank you guys for that. Also, head on over to our Patreon. We don't have anything there yet. Maybe one day, but uh, 
support us with $5 yes. a month. We'd really appreciate that. And subscribe and like us and give us five stars wherever you can, wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, so that was a lot. But for that was good, comment, though. Um, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. And see ya. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.